The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. At my signal, unleash hell. Greetings, welcome, happy Tuesday. You are listening to News Talk, Saga 960. Mark Petroni with you for the next two solid gold hours of freedom-loving news talk. Awesomeness. So glad you could join us on this Tuesday edition of the Mark Petroni Radio Program, available to you on podcast. Our number, if you'd like to give us a call, always happy to hear from listeners just like you, 416-640-0200. I guess Beijing, China... Uh, locking down again. Should we halt flights in from China this time? Unlike, like, we didn't do last time. (laughs) Okay, well, the story is the Beijing coronavirus outbreak, I guess, part two. Son of, whatever you want to call it, travel restricted to take, to tackle extremely severe situation. This is a story in The Guardian, the UK. Uh, Authorities in Beijing have described the city's coronavirus outbreak as extremely severe as dozens more cases emerged and travel from the city was curtailed. Okay, additional neighborhoods were fenced off today with security checkpoints set up at residential compounds and high-risk people such as close contacts of people who tested positive have been prevented from leaving the city. The epidemic situation, this is a quote in the story in The Guardian, is the capital is extremely severe. Beijing City spokesperson Zhu Heijian. Warning at a press conference right now, we have to take strict measures. So we're talking like wartime, police state type stuff to stop the spread. More than 20 neighborhoods in the Chinese capital have now been designated medium risk, which means authorities can impose stricter restrictions on the movement of people and cars. Well, again, my question is, should we halt flights in from China, from Beijing at at least, where this latest outbreak appears to take? I mean, we didn't do it last time, right? Because Junior said it would be a, a racist thing to do. It probably exacerbated the spread. So this time, will he do the right thing and impose travel restrictions from Beijing. The other side of this is it's awfully convenient that it should happen now. Look, I don't trust the I don't trust the Chinese government. I don't trust the World Health Organization. They've betrayed the trust of Canadians and people around the world. So why should we trust them now? I don't trust them. You know, just as we're getting our economy back in gear, these guys all of a sudden reporting another outbreak in Beijing. As if to say, you guys better not open up your your economy, because otherwise you'll end up just like us. They're manipulating the situation just like they did before when they covered up and they lied about this thing. They knew about it weeks ahead of time, did nothing in order to spread it. I said it. I meant it. It's true. The question is, is Junior going to do the right thing, possibly aggravating and ticking off his, his puppet masters? I'm moving on with the story in... The uh, Guardian, 
Uh, let's see. The outbreak is the most significant in China since February, prompting fears of a second wave and questions over how the virus was able to spread given severe quarantine measures taken by authorities. The outbreak is potentially embarrassing for Beijing, which had declared victory over the virus and ordered citizens back to work. I have no idea what's going on in their head. All I know is we need to open up our economy. We really do. And so I'm not saying don't take measures. Absolutely take measures. We can start by halting flights in from China, Junior. Do the right thing for once. Anyway, yeehaw, more uh, helicopter money on the way as the PM poised to extend relief checks, these $2,000 checks. Originally, it was a $24 billion program. Now it's a $60 billion program. That's the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Yeah, it's going to be extended. Uh, Trudeau said that yesterday. Cabinet will not estimate the ad- additional expenses for the program. <laughs> this thing's going to go up to $100 billion. I mean, it's just crazy. It is the costliest pandemic relief plan to date. Quote, we're working on a solution to extend the benefit. Anyway, Tom Korski from Blacklock's Reporter is going to be on hand to make sense out of all of this. And uh, look, if, if we're going to go to the polls sooner than later, then you'd better keep all that borrowed cash flowing. Otherwise, people might get a dose of reality. And we can't have that now, can we? Not until the liberals get that majority back and then raise taxes, which is exactly what they're not telling you they're going to do, but you better believe it's coming. I mean, look, if people are stupid enough to, to reelect them, and then they get what they get. But the, the state of the books is so bad now, the taxes may have to go up regardless of who gets in. That's just a sad fact. All the conservative candidates have said, no, we're not going to do that. Although O'Toole's eco program sure looks like a, a tax hike. I could be wrong, but it just looks that way. Once you go down the road of adding regulatory burdens onto manufacturing operations, which are already taxed to death, it's not good, right? There is a school for thought, let the liberals inflict the pain, but they're also destroying the country on top of it. So in other words, you know, some people might be thinking, let, let the liberals win again and stew in their own juices stewing the uh, the problems of their own making as far as debt is concerned. And, you know, by the time 2024 rolls around, Canadians will be so sick of them, they'll throw them out. And by then, uh, the heir apparent, Jason Kenney, I suppose, will have left provincial politics. And that's, that's the mindset, I think, of some of the liberal, of some of the conservatives. You know, they'd rather lose with... Uh, with any well, with O'Toole, then win with with McKay, so that they can pave the way for their guy, and keep the uh, the rightful heir to uh, to the Harper legacy. Anyway, that's my take on it. Could be wrong. Um, anyway, Jasmine Pickle is going to be on hand with the uh, latest, I guess, on some information she got from the Freedom of Information Act. Turns out Canadian taxpayers spent at least $56,000 on Harry and Meghan's security. That's right, and she's going to be talking about that. Saddled with a nice big fat security bill are the taxpayers of this country, courtesy of uh, when when Meghan and Harry graced uh, this country for a while when they they had this extremely short-lived idea of living on the West Coast. 
Anyway, enjoy those freedom of information requests while you still can, uh, Jasmine, because the Chinese puppet regime in this country may not allow them much longer if they get back in or maybe turn them into a joke, right, with their uh, bureaucratic minions holding these requests up for five, ten years a, a shot. Uh, more nervousness and tension. You talk about China. Also, Korea, actually, I've got this story as well. North Korea launching an attack of sorts, blowing up a building in, uh, in, in the south. But uh, I'll get to that in a second. Chinese forces kill three Indian troops during the first deadly border clash in nearly 50 years. So things are getting tense between India and China. And I tell you, nobody knows the Chinese better than China's neighbors. India and, and Russia. Following days of escalating tensions between the two nuclear-armed neighbors, Indian Army officials confirmed that three troops, an officer and two soldiers, to be more, more precise, had been gunned down by Chinese forces during a violent face-off in Galwan Valley, which rests along the country's border with China. And all that happened last night. So not good when you've got those two countries um, starting what appears to be a shooting war. I mean, it's never really fun between those two countries, but I just wonder how Blackface navigates this one because not that any of the bought-off media are going to ask him about it, but given Junior's subservience to the Chinese and you couple that with needing the Indo-Canadian vote in order to win those seats in places like Brampton and, and Mississauga. So you're going to get some, you know, maybe pushback from people in India who say, well, you know, I don't feel that comfortable with a guy who's in the pocket of, of the Chinese running our country. And, you know, to what degree is he going to have to come out and occasionally say something critical about, about his masters in China? Because he needs those Indo-Canadian votes. He's got to have them. And so if he's uh, kissing butt with the Chinese all the time, you know, it could complicate matters. Anyway, uh, this will give him a chance to, uh, to show everybody why Canada deserves that temporary Security Council seat. I, I guess that's supposed to be coming up uh, this week. I guess very few people caught. Speaking of COVID, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit. COVID, uh, nobody seemed to have caught it from those riots in Minneapolis. I guess, I guess some of them were wearing masks, but they weren't exactly social distancing. I don't know what that says. It just seems like it was a, a non-issue. Uh, three New York uh, police departments, well, two off three officers, I guess, it appears were poisoned, but I, I guess the police have done an, an investigation. They went to have some shakes, some food at the uh, Manhattan Shake Shack, and... I guess ended up getting a taste of bleach in the shakes. And I don't think they ordered the bleach-flavored shake because it wouldn't taste very good. Anyway, uh, the deal is that there was an investigation, although the company came out and said, they tweeted out early this morning, we are horrified by reports that police officers were injured at our 200 Broadway sh uh, shake in Manhattan. We are working with the police and their investigation right now. Uh, so police were definitely sickened, and there was a concern there that somebody put bleach in these shakes, well, presumably aimed at this whole attack on police resonating all over the world, really, 
well, the Western world. And Trouble in Paradise in Chaz, yeah, this is the breakaway sovereign area in what was Seattle, now exposed as nothing more than a police state. Yeah, it's a police state where there are no police. Just angry young people with scowls and uh, armed with uh, scary-looking assault rifles walking around. Many of those people are like don't even look old enough to have a gun in their hands, but in a way it's good because we're getting a taste of life in a city where there are no police, and if you're one of those pinheads who thinks we should defund the police, well, this is what you end up with. You end up with a warlord and a homophobe to boot. Anyway, we've got lots more coming your way on News Talk. The boss wants to go to break. (laughs) And we know why, because Tom Korski is on the line. And we want to get to that as quickly as possible. And that's coming your way after this, so don't go away. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. You were listening to the Mark Petroni radio program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni radio program heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Equity markets looking like they're going to uh, tear out of the gate this morning once markets open in about 14 minutes time with Dow Futures ready to uh, rise about a thousand points on, well, frankly, stunning news on the retail front. U.S. May retail sales surging 17.7% in the biggest monthly jump ever. So uh, we'll see if this uh, latest news on the COVID front puts a damper on any of, any of that. Of course, with Beijing now reporting that it's uh, in the midst of what appears to be a second wave. But I want to get around to all of that with our friend Tom Korski coming to us from Ottawa. He's with Blacklock's reporter, Minding Ottawa's Business. They've got a brand new story out, MPs probe 100% job grants. Now, if this doesn't smell like an election, Tom, I don't know what does. I mean, It's, it's funny. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, the That's the Canada Summer Jobs Program, which, you know, has run for years. It was very non-controversial. Costs about a quarter billion dollars. Uh, most people are generally familiar with the program, uh, except there are some really interesting details that uh, only emerged uh, amid controversy and even federal lawsuits back three years ago. And now it gets even better. So the basic program was if you wanted to hire a student, you wanted a 50% wage subsidy from the feds, you would apply for the Department of Employment, and the department would take the list to your local MP, and they would check this off. And it was really non-controversial, and it was pretty ran pretty smoothly. About three years ago, there were some uh, pro-choice groups who filed complaints because uh, there were Christian charities, for instance, who were having to hire kids to do, uh, you know, just, just office work and such. And that became very controversial. So the Department of Employment came in with an oath Applicants had to swear an oath. And then there were more lawsuits from greenhouse operators, for instance, saying, look, I, I, just, I really want the kids to work with the tomato seedlings 
don't ask me to swear an oath about my fundamental religious beliefs. Well, what's the news? It's not a 50% subsidy, it's a 100% subsidy. MPs can pick and choose which employer gets the bonanza, whether or not they applied. <laughs> I'm suddenly very important. I'm the most important person in my writing. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? And there, were, uh, there was a conservative motion, a member by the name of Dan Albus from uh, British Columbia went into committee yesterday, said, you know what, we're going to go through this riding by riding, and we're going to find out if there's any shenanigans, and the motion passed. All right, so the bottom line is what? That if, if you're uh, an MP, then uh, you get to go to your riding and find out who you want to give money to based on you know, whether they've applied or not to this program. And so even people who didn't apply, you can approach them if you know that they're supporters or you want their vote or for whatever political reasons you have, you can say, oh, by the way, if you want to hire somebody, uh, we'll cover the the cost 100% of it. Mark, you've put this very crudely, (laughs) but entirely accurately. (laughs) That's exactly what's going to happen. Well, again, uh, there's, you've heard the talk. We've, We've talked about an election. This to me is... One of those big red flags that says, here's a perfect opportunity where these MPs can go all around the place and uh, hand out cash, you know, get people uh, to, to you know, get the government. The government's going to be picking up the tab 100% for people you want to hire. So all of a sudden, the people you hire, oh, guess what? Maybe they're liberal voters, too. <laughs> you know, so it just stinks to high heaven. It is. A, I mean, who doesn't want free. It's the sweetest word in the English language, free, Uh, or all you can eat. But, but, But this is free, so it's a free employee. And as mentioned, you didn't have to bother to go to the trouble of applying in the first place. And you know, Mark, the ethics commissioner warned them, the ethics commissioner, this was even pre pandemic last winter, he sent out an advisory to all MPs and said, watch yourself on this program, no monkey business, no cousins, no relatives, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, And now there is going to be this review by the Commons Human Resources Committee just to track exactly what happens with every dollar spent in every riding in Canada. I can promise you it will not be a boring report. And you'll be covering it on Black Locks Reporter, I have no doubt. The Commons Health Committee also yesterday ordered uh, public release of records regarding ongoing restrictions on Canada-U.S. border traffic. Closure to all but essential travelers has been have se- has seen traffic cut by ninety percent or more uh, at the busiest land crossings. Talk about this story. It's been three months. It's been three months since they closed the border to what they called non-essential traffic, which still has not been really defined, even in regulations. Very subjective opinion by the border guards, customs officers down at these land crossings, and uh, MPs, especially border MPs, are getting extremely agitated. You know, traffic is way down. Detroit crossing, Windsor-Detroit, one of the busiest land crossings on the face of the earth, and their truck traffic's down 50%. You know, it's difficult to believe that there was that much non-essential commercial truck traffic a year ago. These are April figures from the U.S. Department of Transport. And there are MPs, and this passed unanimously, there are MPs, uh, especially from those border ridings. There was a liberal from uh, Thunder Bay said, you know what, you know what my number one issue is in my riding? Border issues. I want to go down. My uh, daughter-in-law is having a baby. 
in Saginaw. Uh, I, I have to go down to Great Falls because I, we're hiring a new sales rep. Uh, I, I, you know, there are 50,000 reasons that millions of Canadians cross that border every day. And now it's very complicated, and they can't get the, the, the straight goods from the Department of Public Safety. Number one question, how long does this go on? Is this it for the year, Mark? MPs want to know. They want to know. And they're going to find out. The relief checks, an extension is coming for all those people, I guess, who were, were a little concerned. The money's going to start running out. But uh, once again, the PM, uh, you know, sugar daddy saying, hey, don't worry, we're going to extend this. I mean, if you are going to go into an election period, then you certainly don't want people running out of money, do you? Uh, it won't be cheap. So that program went from $24 billion, was the original budget. And then it went to about $34 billion, said the budget office, and then went to about $45 billion. Uh, they have a supplementary estimate, which is just a budget document, will be voted on tomorrow in the House. And they put the cost at $60 billion. That's more than what we spend on the military every year. That's just a lot of money. That is one-sixth of the entire federal budget last year on this one program. And if they want to extend it, then you're looking at 60, 70, 80, 100 billion dollars. <laughs> I understand that, that these are just numbers on paper after a while, and it's amazing how we become accustomed to them uh, since this pandemic was declared. But these are really staggering figures. Yeah, I mean, it, it would all no doubt push our deficit. I mean, last, last we saw it was 252 to what, 260 billion. For a deficit, I mean, if you add another thirty or forty billion to that because you're extending this program, well, then you're you're getting pretty close to you know three hundred billion dollars deficit. This is just a deficit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and your your federal debt is uh, well, the budget office says it today, and any, anyone can do the arithmetic. It's over a trillion dollars. It's never been that high. That does not include pension liabilities. It does not include borrowing by crown corporations, some of which you've never heard of. If you include all those, you're just starting to talk $1.3, $1.4 trillion. It's a $2 trillion economy, Mark. Oh, my God. That is scary stuff indeed. I want to ask you about this story out of China, Beijing coronavirus outbreak, travel restricted. Just as we were reopening our economy, taking some baby steps forward, we've, done, we've taken another step forward in that direction in Ontario. But now uh, Beijing and China says, no, we've got to lock down again. You know, so authorities in Beijing describing the city's coronavirus break, outbreak as extremely severe and uh, neighborhoods were fenced off. And guess what? They're restricting air travel. Now, you know what happened last time in this country. We, re we did not restrict travel from uh, Wuhan province. Uh, like the uh, like the Americans did in his view, no, that would have been a racist thing to do. And this came after his statements back on uh, January 29th, in which uh, the PM came out and said, "Well, this really was unlikely to be much of a threat in Canada. So just you know, don't worry about it." Do we uh, do something as far as travel and flights in from China this time? Yeah, the, the public health agency has said, Mark, that was not their best work. Uh, I mean, it's as close <laughs> as they've ever come to an apology they, without actually getting there. To say, yeah, we really should have, you know, got on that earlier. i got to say, though, uh, I, I'm not an epidemiologist. I did not go to medical school. But I've listened to a lot of epidemiologists and talked to some. This question, will there, will there not be a second wave? There has to be a second wave, Mark. 
they say it's arithmetic. So if you have a virus, there's only one way you beat the virus. They invent a vaccine or everybody gets sick. And when I say everybody, that, that's not 10% of infection rates that the public health agency publicly talks about. That means 30, 50, 75% of us are going to have to get this virus. And some people will get very sick and some people won't even notice. That's the only way you beat this. That's going to take a year, 18 months. Of course, there's going to be a second wave. What was incredible was the Chinese government's official figures indicated it was it was the uh, forgive my language was the damnedest graph you've ever seen a complete flatline plateau no other country reported that you say whether this is either an epidemiological master race or they're just lying about the numbers and sure enough even we stopped even the public health agency of canada stopped citing their figures there has to be a second wave more people have to get sick until they invent a vaccine Tories having their debates this week, uh, French on Wednesday, English on Thursday. Are you going to be tuning in? Uh, to what degree is this on your radar screen? We don't. I have to be honest with you. We just follow the money. Uh, who's hot, who's not, uh, personalities uh, is actually not of, of keen interest to us. Once they check a leader and once he starts talking about spending the money, he or she that, then we get keenly interested. It, it, you know when pe- other people say it's not about the money? Yeah, for us, it's all about the money, Mark. Yeah, and as, as we need somebody like Blacklock's reporter who is doing exactly what you're doing. A uh, quick uh, question while I got you on the line, Tom. Were chances of an election this spring, percentage-wise? I'm uh, sorry, spring, fall. This coming fall, uh, what, uh, what's your take on whether we're leaning in that direction or not? Uh, my call is 0%. 0%. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, that would be so cynical, so foolish, uh, and so dangerous, and almost guaranteed to bite you that uh, I just can't believe that any party organizer would think that was a wise thing to do. And chances next spring? Oh, oh, no. Now. <laughs> that, that, uh, where would we be next spring? <laughs> what was life like on March 10th again before the pandemic? I can't even remember. I can't. That's right. Uh, Pre-C, that's, uh, pre, uh, pre-coronavirus or COVID-19. All right, Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate this as always. Have a great day, Mark. All right. That is Tom Korski, a Blacklocks reporter minding Ottawa's business. That's blacklocks.ca. Check it out. We'll be back with more news talk after this. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Well, tell us, I guess, uh, just can't wait for Ottawa to give Huawei the okay to roll out. The 5G network. Tell us, this is a story in the Global Mail. Tell us, installed Huawei gear in the national capital region. 4G network, an apparent contravention of the understanding with Ottawa. Tell us, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, they has gear from Huawei Technologies and its 4G wireless network in the National Capital Region, a headquarters for much of Canada's federal government, in apparent contravention of an understanding that it would not use the Chinese firm's equipment there. Well, you know what? You've got to go after TELUS on this one. Anyway, we've got Jasmine Pickle with us. She's the Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Always fun having Jasmine on the line. And you've been following uh, Megan and Harry and I guess, what, $56,000 in, uh, in costs to the Canadian taxpayers. Yeah, so after Trudeau uh, stayed mum on the topic uh, for so long, we, um, we couldn't get any answers from him. So we submitted some freedom of information requests. Uh, and we found out that taxpayers were on the hook for at least $56,000 in RCMP security charges for, uh, you know, protecting the royal couple while they were here. Um, and, you know, we collected tens of thousands of signatures from Canadians telling Trudeau not to waste a dime of taxpayer money uh, on, the, on the couple. So that was uh, quite a shock for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and taxpayers we should be published. I mean, I guess we should sort of be lucky because they left the country. I guess went uh, they were. They, I think they were in the West Coast. Uh, got bored and and went to L.A. But we still got saddled with that bill. So, what do you think we should do about that? Yeah, so that's a great question. I uh, you know I think that really they should pay it back. They said that they wanted to emancipate themselves from uh, taxpayer support. Um, so I really think that, you know, they should they should give that back. If you look at struggling taxpayers right now, we've just been hit with the worst economic downturn on record. And, you know, we don't have uh, deep pockets right now. The average taxpayer is struggling greatly. And, you know, you see them clearly not uh, hurting for cash, traveling around the world, moving uh, wherever they like. And, of course, they're welcome in in Canada, we're, we're happy to have them take up residence here. It's just taxpayers should absolutely uh, not be on the hook for, for their security expenses. Should we just send them the bill? <laughs> you know what, if, if it were up to me, I, I think that we should do that. Um, like they said, they've been trying to become financially independent. Um, that's their that's their goal in, in moving away from the royal lifestyle. So, you know, we wish them, uh, we wish them all the best on that. I mean, because one of the first things that Trump said was, hey, you come over here, uh, come to the United States, we're happy to have you, but you're paying for your own security. Um, he was upfront about that right from the get-go, that American taxpayers were not going to cover the cost. And so the fact that we just seem to be, oh, well, I guess we're just going to have to pay it. To me, that sucks. We can't afford it right now. I guess we're going to be extending those uh, $2,000 checks. I suppose that's the way, because many of those... Uh, I guess is running. They're running out for Canadians who have, have had to rely on COVID relief, the emergency money that was uh, handed out so liberally. I guess that program started at twenty-four billion dollars. Is up to sixty now. And the PM said yesterday, "Well, we're going to have to keep writing those checks." I mean, wh where is it going to end, if ever? Absolutely. So. Um, that's, you know, something that we've spoken on extensively. I know my colleague Aaron Woodrick uh, federally has been uh, busy on Twitter, Twitter about that and, and uh, really trying to hold the government to account because uh, there are so many, so many claims in this program, uh, more than have lost their jobs um, from COVID-19. So, 
I think that that will be something that as a Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we watch quite closely. Um, certainly, you know, as we get into the recovery phase, I think it's appropriate to start asking questions about this and, and getting to the bottom of where where this money is going. And we also see, for example, through Catherine McKenna's office, she's the federal infrastructure minister, um, with a lot of money going out the door so quickly, she seems to have lost track of where it's all going. And one project that I'm working in, on in Toronto right now, I, I know your listeners might have heard of it, is this Rail Deck Park uh, idea, which is the latest vanity project from our uh, big spending mayor, John Tory. And my worry is that the federal government's going to be, uh, you know, pork barreling over, forking out some money to Toronto's mayor to build this uh, ridiculous floating park, which is just a crazy idea. Um, you know, when the city is saying right now, we're not going to be able to cover our bills for the TTC or or uh, for Toronto Fire Services or, or shelter spaces. We can't afford that unless the federal government bails us out. Yet they're turning around and Mayor John Tory still wants to build a $4 billion floating park downtown Toronto. I think that, you know, all of your listeners who live uh, either in or around Toronto should all be worried, um, you know, not only that taxes would go up, but that, um, you know, they'll be paying for it whether they live in the city or not, because um, John Tory is asking the federal government for money for this project. What is a floating park? I mean, you mean like <laughs> on the water? <laughs> That's a great question. So uh, Mayor John Tory is calling it Rail Deck Park. And essentially what he envisions for, you know, his pet project is that um, it would be a park about 20 acres is what the city envisions, right above, built above the railways on the west side leading into Union Station uh, from about Bathurst Street to Blue Jays Way. All of the vacant uh, air, I guess I would say, the air above the railways they'd cover with parkland similar to what was done in uh, Chicago's Millennium Park. Now, trust me, Mark, I have lived steps from that area for years. It sounds like a really cool uh, project until you hear the price tag of this thing. So if you can actually imagine, the railways leading into Toronto's Union Station is actually a busier uh, busier transportation hub than Pearson International Airport. More people pass through Union every day than they do Pearson. So just the complexity of building a park on top of those railways uh, really skyrockets the price. So John Tory saying it's going to cost $1.7 billion to build this park, uh, which he's calling Rail Deck Park. We're calling it, you know, his $4 billion boondoggle floating park in the sky. Um he he says it's going to cost 1.7. We found out, we commissioned a professional engineering firm that this park is actually going to cost at least double at $3.8 billion. At the same time that this mayor is asking Justin Trudeau for a COVID-19 bailout, he's asking the province for billions uh, in, in a bailout. So I think he has a lot of answering to do why he's still going ahead with this ridiculous pet project at a time that the city's budget is just bleeding. Well, I probably think that he's uh, looking for some kind of legacy project. I mean, you've mentioned it. You've called it a uh, a vanity project for, for John Tory, maybe on his way out to be able to say, look at what I did. You know, the last big, great thing you can you can attribute to me. You can credit uh, credit me. But the $3.8 billion is an awful lot of money. And if he does that, if they move ahead with that and, and costs continue to skyrocket, well, 
guess what? It for sure is going to lead to higher property taxes, don't you think? Oh, 100%. And while he pretends, uh, and this is the best, right? You know, it's the oldest politician, politician's trick in the book. They'll say, this won't result in property tax increases, but we clearly can't trust the mayor on that front because that, that was his only promise in the last two elections. And both times he broke his promise and raised property taxes. He's adding 10.5%. By 2025. Now, if you talk to anyone who lives in Toronto, you know, housing or in the GTA, for that matter, housing is already expensive enough. And so he's raising property taxes when people already can't afford their rent. Businesses are already shutting down. Um, and it's clear that he's going to have, if he's lowballing the cost on this park, which he is, uh, we found that and we confirmed that with, you know, a report that we produced showing the cost is going to be at least double. Uh, clearly, there are a lot of costs he hasn't accounted for that he's going to have to pay for somehow. And property tax, that's the easiest way for him to raise money. But my bigger issue with this park is that John Tory likes to pretend that uh, the only way that this park will happen is if taxpayers put the entire bill. But the reality is that there was actually a proposal in from private developers uh, to build a similar sized park, so instead of the 20 acres, they they you know build 12, um, but that would get taxpayers off the hook for substantial portions of this project. So, uh, why the city rejected their their bid is, I think John Tory needs to explain that, um, and he needs to get a little bit more creative. Uh, you know, if the city needs more park space, which I think an argument can be made that it does. Um, you know, why not look for other ways to fund it through private uh, private developers who clearly had uh, a bid in to, to do the project themselves? But think of all the money we're going to save when we defund police, though, Jasmine. <laughs> no more police well, around. Look, all the uh, money, all the millions, the tens of millions of dollars we're going to save? <laughs> well, even before there were calls out to defund the police, Mayor John Tory said that if Justin Trudeau didn't bail out uh, bail out the city of Toronto following COVID, that he'd have to cut $31.3 million of funding from the Toronto police, which would result in 500 job cuts from frontline officers. Um, he also said, you know, if, if the feds didn't bail him out um, from COVID, he'd have to have a 50% reduction in, in long-term care homes in the city. Uh, so there's already a crisis. So it's absolutely ridiculous that this mayor is threatening to make cuts to a variety of different uh, vital services, including uh, public housing in Toronto and public health, um, when at the same time he's building a $4 billion park. Now, I just want to focus, $4 billion, it rolls off the tongue really easy, but imagine what we could do, how much public housing we could build, how much we could invest in public health and maybe actually buy masks for the next uh, global pandemic. $4 billion is a lot of money. So if he wants to spend that on one single park, I think that's absolutely ludicrous and, and taxpayers should uh, hold him to account. Jasmine, thank you so much. Really appreciate this as always. Thanks, thanks so much, Mark. Great having you on the show. Jasmine Pickles, she is the Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I believe it's taxpayers.com. I don't want to speak too soon, Bjorn. Uh, let's see. If, if I'm wrong, I'll... Uh, I'll correct it, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's taxpayersdoc.com. Okay, back with more after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca.
listening to the Mark Petroni radio program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni radio program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Well, there are concerns that Ford may scrap the Edge SUV, putting the Canadian vehicle plant at risk. Ford Motor Company scrapping plans to make a next-generation Edge SUV, putting a Canadian assembly plant that produces the crossover at risk of closure. That, according to industry forecaster Auto Forecast Solutions, the assembly plant in Oakville. Uh, used to make the Ford Flex and Lincoln MKT. Currently makes only two models, the Lincoln Nautilus and Ford Edge. The Flex and MKT were canceled last year, and Nautilus production is expected to move to China after 1023. Well, that's good news for you, A. Junior, since you just love shipping our jobs to China. Well, but this bad news if you're a Canadian, if you're... Uh, uh, an auto worker, or if you're a manufacturer, this is just uh, more bad news. And I, and I know that Jocelyn has some thoughts about what the government could do to change all this, but whether they're listening or not, I don't know. Anyway, uh, there is some good news on the stock market front, that's for sure. Uh, Dow Jones up 750 points to start the trading day. And uh, let's see, NASDAQ, well, that's about uh, almost 3% is the Dow, NASDAQ up a little over 2%. That largely the result of this stellar May retail sales report. It's It surged 17.7%. That is the biggest monthly jump ever. So this is the pent-up demand that, uh, that Donald Trump has been talking about. Consumers have been itching to get out there and spend and, um, you know, just do the things that they used to do before this COVID nightmare hit. Retail sales shattering already lofty expectations for May as consumers unshackled from their coronavirus-induced lockdowns began shopping again. The 17.7% headline gain, including food sales, easily topped the previous record from October 2001 and beat the 8% estimate from economists surveyed by Dow Jones. Boy, did it ever beat... <laughs> it didn't just beat the 8% estimate. It obliterated it. Wow. Retail sales alone powered 16.8% higher from a month ago, more than double the estimate from Dow Jones and reversing a 16.4% plunge from a month ago. All right, clothing and accessories. Stores reported the biggest percentage gain at 188%, while sporting goods, hobby, musical instruments, and bookstores rose 88.2%. So there you go. I mean, that's, that's obviously good news. But I guess, once again, that cloud hovering all of this is the latest, uh, I guess, if you want to call it second wave out of China, and you just know that Americans are in no mood to go back and start locking down all over again. And I don't think they necessarily have to. I mean, look, I'm not a, I'm not a medical expert. But, uh, you know, as long as you protect people who are the most vulnerable ones, right? We already know, <laughs> thanks to these riots, that uh, those who took part 
in the race riots, the looting, the burning in Minneapolis and many other cities across the United States that uh, COVID-19 really wasn't spread uh, as a result of that. At least that's the preliminary report that we have. So despite all of that, stuff that was going on, for whatever reason, that didn't lead to the kind of spike that one might have expected. All right, let's talk a little bit about oil and gold. Oil is up uh, 4.23%. West Texas Intermediate now up about $1.57 to $38.69 as it uh, pushes towards 40 bucks again. Brent is at uh, $41.24. And gold is flat. I guess uh, some of that money that might have gone towards gold uh, prior to this huge retail report, now is uh, seems to be heading towards equities. We have Darko on the line. Yes, hello. Hi, Darko. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Excellent, thank you. What, what's up? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about this CERB that uh, that we have and how long it might last. Because you know, people say, "Well, the people are going back to work," but even in phase three. What uh, percentage of a restaurant capacity is going to be there? You know, you're still not going to have uh, the big venues like the, the Sky Domes and the Roy Thompson Halls and all these concert venues, sporting things that may not even have anybody in there until the new year at the earliest, I would think. Yeah, well, theaters, so, are, uh, theaters are supposed to be opening soon. Are you well, thinking of well, any interest? I mean, for me, I'll go. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a subscriber of TSO and some other concerts, uh, right? But um, so I'm, I'm, I have no problem going if the, if my thing starts in September. I'm, I'm okay. But you know, when I see universities not letting students in lecture halls, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to have people at concert venues. Yeah, I mean, these restaurants are going to be having a, a rough time. Uh, I mean, I guess they can only have what a third or. You know, I guess it depends on the size of the restaurant, right? In I terms mean, right of right now in phase two, it's just outdoor, right? There's no yeah. indoor. I mean, eventually so, they're, they're going to be able yeah, to go so inside. Phase three, what are they going to allow? Twenty-five percent, a fifty percent indoor capacity, if if that. You know, like it's and then you got you serving staff. My sister works in uh, catering. Yeah. So even if you have, you know, a lot of it's private in people's homes. So are you going to have as many people? So you will, even if you have the catering industry starting up, it's not going to be. Full blown like it was before. Is it How busy be? is she? How busy is she? Oh, I mean, since it started? Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Nothing. Like the company she works for, it's basically a complete shutdown. Like, I don't know if, 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 they, if some of them have where somebody says, hey, I need, you know, <laughs> so many lasagnas or something. Well, but, but then who are you doing it for? Because even with families, you're only going to have five people or so. Even now, like 10 people, that'll be. You know, that's nothing for like some of these parties people have. So yeah. it's it's completely dead. You know. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're not that confident that our economy is going to be bouncing back anytime soon. I mean, you know, you'll get some stuff, but you know, when you when you look at it, you're saying, okay, so if 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 half the staff that works in restaurants aren't going to be working, that's a lot of people. We have a lot of restaurants. <laughs> you know, yeah, this absolutely. is like 1975. People go out to eat a lot, or they did, you know, and so a lot of people work in the restaurant industry, and then, you know, we have a lot more theaters as well, so everybody who's associated with working 
and the crew and the, the the ushers and the ticket people or ticket masters and it's just you know it's we're we're a service economy. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how that new um, you know movie. again a friend of mine works in, in like kitchen cabinetry and uh, uh, countertops right their company they, they may install them so like you know how many people are going to want to call you in even to look at it to do the renovation they may hold off on it yeah. Plus, people aren't making as much money, so they don't have as much to spend. It's, All right, uh, it's, it's pretty gloomy for the. It know, is. The uh, that's a, you've certainly uh, you've certainly in, injected a note of pessimism into the proceedings, Jericho. But, 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 but I understand. Realistically, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Like I look at my both my kids are at university, and yeah. and none of them are going to have in class. So you know, why would I be at a concert venue in September if they're not going to class because it's not safe? All right. I mean, I, I wish it wasn't so. But, uh, no, I, I appreciate your feedback this morning. Thank you, Darko. Thank you. All right. There's a, here's a little story. out of. I mentioned this out of uh, out of Korea, North Korea, South Korea. Tensions increasing. I, I mentioned earlier the, uh, the shooting of three Indian uh, troops on the border with China. And now, of course, in a major escalation or what could be deemed to be an escalation, North Korea blowing up a South Korean liaison office. Well, it looks like North Korea is itching for a fight. You know what that means. It means that people in their country are starving and they need a distraction. More news talk to come after this. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Back with more news talk, hour two of the Mark Petroni radio program. The Eagle has landed indeed. North Korea blowing up an office setting up that has been set up to foster better ties with North with South Korea in its border town of Kaesong. All this happened today after uh, North Korea threatened to take action if North Korean defectors went ahead with a campaign to send propaganda leaflets into the north. So yeah, so, so here's an office that was set up to try and establish stronger ties and positive ties between the north and the south, and the north blow, blows it up. That's one way to say uh, we don't want to do that anymore. Just, <laughs> just blow it right up. Anyway, Kate Harrison is on the line after a week off. Uh, Kate is an expert, a political expert, a longtime watcher a political events. She is a, a conservative strategist as well. She's with Summa Strategies. She joins us now. Kate, welcome to the show. Happy to be back, Mark. We're trying to make things uh, a little less lively maybe than what's happening in North and South Korea. <laughs> I, there's no shortage of stories, I'll tell you that. It's uh, That's one of the things, one of the fun things about this show that I like doing is just trying to stay on top of, of all the things that are constantly happening. But this week, I guess, is an important one in terms of the Conservative Party leadership race, correct? Two debates, the uh, the Wednesday debate in French and then the Thursday debate in English. That's right. And this is, from what we know, the only opportunity that the four remaining candidates will have to face off against one another. And even then, it won't be a traditional debate uh, in the sense that 
candidates aren't going to be on stage. There's not going to be a live audience. They're all going to be at the same location, but uh, effectively doing a, a, a video call, a video debate. So it's not the typical razzle-dazzle as much as there can be with uh, political debates for, for us nerds. Uh, that, a lot of that fanfare that accompanies a debate uh, is not going to be happening this time around. But uh, it is the only opportunity, and that makes it an important one, uh, especially to try and reach uh, members that haven't decided who they're voting for uh, as we hit the home stretch of the race. And those who are intending to tune in, what can they expect in terms of uh, lines of attack from not only the front runners, but perhaps the two candidates that are trying to catch the two front runners? Yeah, there's there's really two races that are happening right now. I think there's the race for first and the race for third. And competing for the front runner position, of course, is Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole. And it's understood that those two are actually quite close in terms of uh, the amount of votes that they're able to pull. So I think that they're going to largely be training their sights on on one another during the debate. But then you also have a dynamic of uh, of third place between Derek Sloan and Leslin Lewis. Uh, and why that matters, uh, Mark, is entirely based on how people cast their ballots, because it's a ranked ballot. So who you decide to put as your second choice does matter. Once your candidate, your first choice, let's say, for example, it's Derek Sloan, he's not likely to win. Once he drops, your vote then goes to who you've chosen for second place. So uh, between Sloan and Lewis, their second choices are going to matter quite a bit, especially if it's very close between McKay and O'Toole. Either Lewis or Sloan could be the kingmaker in the race. So it's going to be interesting to see those two kind of face off against one another and compete for uh, more of that social conservative uh, side of the party, those votes. I've been reading that Leslin has been surging, maybe getting a little bit more response online. Uh, people like some of her positions as it relates to race relations. Uh, Leslin is black, and so I think she might have an edge in terms of coming out. And if she wants to be openly critical of groups like Black Lives Matter, I think she has a certain amount of freedom to do that that maybe uh, other candidates do not feel as comfortable doing, only because we live in a, a time and an era where people are just so concerned about being called racist. It's, it's put such a chill on any kind of discourse but it seems to have given her a little bit of a boost. What do you think? Yeah, and one of the most refreshing things I think I could say looking at this entire leadership race is in how Leslie Lewis has actually positioned her candidacy. Uh, and what I mean by that is, unlike Derek Sloan, who really dug in on LGBTQ issues um, and, and access to abortion and, and pro-life issues, Lewis, of course, has views on those things, but she wouldn't ascribe her conservatism, it seems to me, to be exclusively about that. So what I think she is doing, and I think it's actually really refreshing to see, is talking about a variety of issues through a social conservative lens, rather than taking the two kind of cornerstone uh, social conservative issues of abortion and same-sex marriage and saying, well, this is all that I care about. And I think that that's where Derek Sloan has fallen down a bit, and I think that that's where Lewis has seen an opportunity to provide a social conservative perspective on things, but not just on those uh, typical tropes uh, that are t that are associated with the social conservative movement. And I think that that's a welcome thing to see in the, the conservative movement more broadly. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be, you know, a one-issue candidate. I mean, Canadians don't want that. And so they want to see somebody who's going to focus on the economy and other important issues. I mean, we're at a, we're at a time when our, even the PM himself 
says that our economy is is in a coma right now. And uh, Canadians are not feeling good about their economic prospe- prospects. We have a federal government that is churning out the cash, borrowed money. So they're going to extend their the CERB program, which, you know, mm-hmm. granted, you know, people need that money. But what they really need is to get back to work. And all the while, you have a government that has shown little interest in boosting some of our key industries, namely manufacturing and the resource sector. Aaron O'Toole just tabled a, a 50-page, um, I guess, a policy document. As he listed his, his platform and includes mm-hmm. a promise to end fossil fuel subsidies from his... Uh, so he's looking at zero emissions, and that has some of the manufacturers a little bit nervous. So I'm wondering if that might be an area where maybe uh, McKay and O'Toole may spar in terms of the future of the economy in this country. Definitely, we're going to see some sparks fly over uh, resource economy and and more broadly environment and carbon tax issues, right? There was quite a bit of exchange that happened between the McKay and O'Toole camps over uh, what some saw as a slightly open door within the O'Toole platform to, to have some type of a carbon pricing regime and structure in place. Uh, so I think that that is certainly going to be an area where we see a little policy trading back and forth. Although I would say that I, I think that what a lot of people are looking for right now is how Canada can recover from the recession and how can we put a dent into the expenditures that the Trudeau government is making to effectively buy people's votes at a time like this. So I think that there should be a lot of time spent on what Canada under a conservative government would look like post-recovery. We know people trust conservatives on fiscal issues and economic issues. Uh, it's a it's a strength for the party. Let's lean into that and see uh, and put ideas on the table for how we're going to keep the economy moving. And that includes uh, bringing oil to domestic and foreign markets. I see that O'Toole actually backpedaled on that commitment to hear. Uh, he actually removed, this is the story of the National Post, removed a promise to end fossil fuel subsidies from his pol- policy platform, taking the language out just one day after releasing it publicly. Uh, but uh, here was a guy who supposedly positioned himself to the right of McKay. I think that was the strategy going in, you know, that he was going to be, if you want a real conservative, you know, a red-blooded uh, Tory, you know, I'm your guy, uh, don't vote for the red Tory, that would be Peter McKay. Well, you know, in a way, this economic uh, policy platform by O'Toole has kind of exposed him a little bit because he's under attack. We saw Peter uh, re- release a statement not long ago suggesting that, in fact, O'Toole's uh, economic plan is dangerous. He says O'Toole's climate change platform calls for a national industrial regulatory and pricing regime across the country. Uh, however, these more intrusive regulations and higher taxes would batter our energy sector, already reeling from hostile policies imposed by a liberal government determined to t- transition it out of existence. I mean, we need jobs. <laughs> it's like we need to inject more juice, you know, more energy into our resource sector, into our manufacturing sector. And here we are with Ford now on the bubble, you know, possibly pulling out of Oakville. And we're talking about, you know, even the conservative now talking about this kind of stuff. I mean, how do you, with a straight face, position yourself as a conservative to the right of McKay and then come out with this stuff? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I I think that it's important that these things not be looked at the exclusion of one another, right? Like anybody 
uh, that knows anything about clean technology will tell you that there is no way to get to net zero emissions and no way to reach Canada's climate change goals that doesn't involve the the collaboration and cooperation with uh, the oil and gas industry. So kind of setting them out and and, and pricing uh, pricing the heck out of them and making that not a sustainable industry is not going to work uh, because the demand for oil is still going to exist. At the same time, I also think we need to recognize that there is going to be a huge amount of scrutiny over any plan that Conservatives uh, candidates in this race and whoever wins as a party puts forward on the environment because the fact of the matter is more and more Canadians are deciding that the environment is an issue that they care about. I don't necessarily think that means they want to pay a carbon tax. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, but at the same time, whatever plan is put forward needs to show that it's not going to be overly punitive uh, for the oil and gas sector because it is so important to our domestic economy. But at the same time, we are working towards tangible, practical ways that improve Canada's uh, conservation and nature in the environment. I think that, you know, the whole idea of uh, international targets is really obtuse for a lot of people. I think more people resonate with uh, the environmental benefits that they can see. Uh, and so I'd like to see a little bit more time spent on things like, you know, conservation and uh, protected areas and, and whatnot, because I think that that has a little bit more resonance for people. But I don't think it can be either or, Mark. I don't think it can be just focused on the environment or just uh, natural resources, because Canadians have said that they want to see a blend uh, of, of those policies together. Yeah, but there's, you know, the, I guess the destruction of our economy will certainly, uh, you know, reduce our green our, our carbon footprint. <laughs> I have no doubt that our carbon footprint is a lot smaller now than it was, say, a year or two ago. But oh, that's largely because we're not working, you know, because Canadians are not. And so many manufacturing operations, despite the efforts of the Ford government uh, to, uh, you know, to try and encourage companies to come here and set up shop here, I think they've done a good job. When you're constantly working at loggerheads with this ideological these zealots that we have in Ottawa. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard because it's like one side is pushing and the other side is, is pulling. Uh, well, and the ideology seems to stop when it comes to doing business with countries that have egregious human rights records, right? I would yeah. like to see uh, a domestic energy policy put forward that actually rewards and incentivizes and benefits Canadian oil and gas producers. There's no reason why with the abundance of our resources that we can't be more reliant on the energy that's produced here in Canada uh, rather than doing business with some uh, some human rights abusers in the Middle East. I think that it would be uh, great, and I think that the candidates have focused on this, great to see more support for domestic energy production and actually harnessing that potential here at home so that we create the jobs and, and keep the resource within Canada. Can we get you on the show after all this is said and after the two debates? Maybe to Absolutely, give us your, yeah, uh, I look forward to reviewing. your post-game analysis. Happily. All right, really appreciate that, Kate. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, Mark. All right, Kate Harrison is with Summa Strategies. She's our uh, political expert in all things conservative party related. She's keeping a close eye on the debates that happen this week. We'll have to see if there's any knockout punches. And... Uh, we got lots more on news talk coming up, including David Barnsdale is going to be joining us at the bottom of the clock with his take on the markets and uh, ways to make more money. Anyway, it's all coming your way after this.
no radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. Listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number 416 640 0200. That's 416 640 0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program, heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. Man, that's a lot of cab rides. Uh, Catherine McKenna, her office, uh, this is the uh, Member of Parliament. She's the Minister of Infrastructure, I guess now, but her Enviro office expensed more than $100,000 on Ottawa taxi cabs. $100,000. Rebel Media had that one. That's a lot of moolah, man. $100,000 for cabs. Hmm. While we're spending less, you'll be glad to know consumer debt load dropping for the first time in a decade in Canada. Yeah, a sharp decline in the use of credit cards at the end of March led to the first drop in consumer debt balances in more than a decade. I guess there's always kind of a silver lining in whatever cloud that you look into. Average balances on debt, excluding mortgages, dropped 0.5%. We're not talking about a huge amount. Well, I get look, it's it's an amount. Anyway, to $23,386. In the first quarter from a year earlier, the country's largest credit reporting firm reported that uh, today, stores and restaurants closing in March due to coronavirus. Uh, Consumers cut back on their credit card use as a result of that. So you're not going to restaurants as much. And all that led to a decline in balances. The trend gained momentum in April as well, with few signs that consumers are looking to debt for support in the early days of the pandemic. That according to Bill Johnston, who is the vice president of data and analytics at Equifax, massive cash injections from the federal government and the Bank of Canada, along with deferrals on mortgages and other loans, appear to be helping consumers stave off the difficulties for now. But as we all know, it's all temporary. Apparently, the New York Police Department finding no criminality by Shake Shack workers in the case of these cops who got, well, sickened by some food, beverages that they consumed at the Shake Shack, one of the Shake Shacks in uh, Manhattan. So what, I guess the shakes just tasted like crap? There was some other issue. I mean, look, it just raises suspicions here from people who think that this police, another attack on police. You know, many of whom are already thinking of packing it in, which is exactly what the left and their anarchist buddies want, right, to bring down police. We talked about this at length yesterday, about why it is. You've got all these other lines of work, whether it's lawyers and judges and doctors and financial experts and all these people, all these other fields which you have bad apples, somehow they are allowed to continue pretty much maybe the odd change here and there, but nobody calls for a defunding of doctors. Nobody calls for a defunding of the financial sector. No, 
because these things don't protect the laws that these anarchists are trying to destroy. It's cops who stand in the way of that. And so that's why there's one set of rules that the left applies to cops that they don't apply to others. Anyway, police looked into it and found no criminality by Shake Shack workers in connection with the hospitalization of three officers who drank milkshakes they believe may have been spiked with bleach. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> so what was it then? I mean, I'm sure that the cops who got sick, they're thinking, no, that's, somebody did this. Somebody did it. Anyway, after a thorough investigation by the NYPD's Manhattan South investigators, it has been determined that there was no criminality by Shake Shack's employees, that according to the chief of detectives, Rodney Harrison. I don't know, are you just giving them a solid here? Police sources said that the case has been deemed unintentional after it appeared that whatever cleaning solution was used on the shake machine wasn't rinsed off enough. Oh, so that's what happened. Well, who, who else got sick then? Was, or was it just these three police officers that happened to have gotten ill? Doesn't that seem a little suspicious? The cops immediately noticed a funny taste when they sipped the drinks from the chain's location on Broadway near Fulton Street shortly after 9 p.m. Monday. That according to law enforcement who spoke with the New York Post. They said they were taken to the Bellevue Hospital, and have since been released. Look, my thing is, okay, maybe something did go wrong with the shake machine. It's possible. You know, you clean these things, you put, you know, chemicals in there to make sure that there's no residue and all this crap. I mean, I'm not an expert on this stuff. But my question is, why is it that the cops are the only ones reported getting sick? It doesn't make any sense to me. And so... If these people are attacking police, maybe it's time to come clean on that. Shake Shack. Yeah, violent... Fa I'm talking a little bit about some of the things that have been happening overseas. It just seems that with all the turmoil in, in America, is it just me or all of a sudden all the stuff outside, in Asia in particular, all of a sudden ramping up the possible... Uh, well, we've seen this, the, the, the shooting of three Indian soldiers on the border with China, right? You, we've seen North Korea all of a sudden and blowing up this liaison office that is supposed to be fostering goodwill between the North and the South. Yeah, all you had to do was close it, you know, Kim Jong-un. I mean, just say, we're yeah, we're closing. We're not going to. No, these guys took the added step of blowing it up. And so, and that's not all now. Also, tensions in the Himalayas, violent face-off in that country. You know, well, I guess that's related to the three soldiers, though. I mean, that's, that's what the overheated situation is, once again, between China and India. So how bad is it going to get? You know, how tense are things going to get? I mean, to me, when there's a vacuum of leadership in which the Americans, of course, are really kind of obsessed with dealing with their own crap right now, right? And everybody knows that America is, well, frankly, locked in with processing and resolving serious domestic issues. 
It just seems like other countries now, it's like, oh, the cat's away. Uh, let's let's play. Let the mice play. Okay, we got Mark on the line. Mark. How are you, Mark? Excellent. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, man. It's a beautiful day today. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it, my friend. We're actually stuck in the studio, which is a, I don't, it's just a nice place to be, nonetheless. The boss is, yeah. is well aware of spending long hours in the studio, but uh, <laughs> we, I don't know what it's doing outside. I'm sure it, w- it was nice earlier, though, so good for you for, for getting some of that vitamin D3 from the sun. Yeah, yeah, we need it in the, in the land of Trudeau. <laughs> You've got some thoughts you know, about the prime well, minister. I, I appreciate the fact that you never call him by his name. It's Blackface or Junior. I love it. Well, yeah, I, I think some people don't like that here. Here at the shop, they're looking at me sideways, going, "Come on, man!" In fact, I heard <laughs> somebody else. I can somebody else told me this. You know, he is the prime minister. You know what? I he is. And I guess maybe I should accord him that level of respect. I do say Justin Trudeau on occasion. I've even been known to say Prime Minister Trudeau. But my my issue with this guy is I don't believe he loves the country, and that's a no, big no. problem for me. That's, when you have I a leader, to, when you have a head of state who doesn't love the country, separatist. we got problems. I don't know. Go he's ahead. A, he's a closet separatist. Is that your he take hates, on? He hates Canada. He hates the English speaking world. He's he's a communist. He's a Freemason. But what I, I don't know about. Quickly, I don't know about that. What I wanted to say quickly okay. was, I don't know how anyone in the world would want to run for federal election like conservatives or whoever, and over and take over this mess, because anything they do when they get elected is going to get completely destroyed by the public. Well, you think of it. You're gonna you're gonna inherit a disaster. Uh, oh, yeah. A terrible situation. So, do you think that just well, just do you agree with this argument? Some people make well, let the let the liberals stew in their own juices, let them take care of the mess of their own making. But to me, I don't think that's good either because they're just going to make an even bigger mess. You know, the longer you wait to clean up the mess, the worse it gets. But I don't know. Yeah, maybe I don't think I don't think there's any cleaning up of this mess. I really don't. Well, what do you think is going to? I mean, when you say there's no cleaning it up. Where are you well, going with this? I mean, they've just totally destroyed the economy. There's nothing. We're, Canada is pumping out nothing for the GDP. There's no oil and gas. There's no technology. There's no nothing. We don't manufacture anything. It's a completely it's a complete service economy. And I think Trudeau has he he performed the coup de grace. He did this on purpose because he hates Canada. He hates English-speaking people. He wished Quebec was its own country. Well, he may. Get, if that's the case, that he may get his dream. And now, of course, yeah. the news about this Ford plant is even more troubling, with the Ford possibly moving what's left of its production out of Oakville and uh, in Canada, oh, and then moving man, it to that China. Would be a disaster. I grew up in Oakville. I mean, that is a community. It's a it's a great city. Got some beautiful homes. Oh, yeah. But I'm telling you, you take away that plant, all of a sudden, um, it's not good. There's a lot of people who, are going, who rely on that plant for job, good-paying jobs. And, uh, you know, I can't entirely blame some of these manufacturers for not wanting to stay in Canada, given the policies of this federal government. So, I mean, I, I, take, your, I take your point that— no, you, uh, you can't blame them. I, I, I never heard the Ford story, so I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm happy to to update you if I hear any anything more about it. But uh, yeah. that's why I think, 
you know, people who think I should be more respectful of Justin Trudeau because of his position. He was elected by 33% of the population. Two-thirds wanted him gone. Let but, me tell you something. The elections are rigged. Oh, okay. And, so and you it don't... Starts, no, no, it starts in eastern Canada. You feel that they're, uh, they're oh, not yeah. on the up by and the up? Time, by the time eastern Canada votes rolled in, everything was done. Well, uh, you know, look, I don't know less. about that. I mean, Sheer was not going to get a whole lot of support in Atlantic no, Canada. He was or, terrible. So I don't well, know. You almost think someone on the Sheer team was working for Trudeau. Well, we'll have to see what happened, who they pick, who the Tories pick. Will they go with another candidate that has no appeal in Atlantic Canada or, or uh, Quebec? Or are they going to pick somebody who has a history in those, at least Atlantic Canada, I mean, McKay is going to flip a bunch of seats out there. So this idea that, um, you know, they've got to pick somebody who, you know, has support out west. We already have lots. You know, whoever runs for the conservative is going to get tons of votes out west. That's that's not the battleground. The battleground is you have to win more seats in Atlantic Canada. Uh, a little few more in, in Quebec would be great and uh, more in Ontario. But thank you, Mark, for the call. Appreciate that. You have a great day, Mark. All right. Uh, that is caller Mark. And guess what? David Barnsdale is going to be checking in. And he's got some thoughts about the markets, where we're headed perhaps, and uh, good ways to save and avoid paying excess taxes. He's an expert, and we need to hear from David, and we will after this. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Show me the money. Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! Show me the money, David Barnsdale. Show it to me. Lord knows we all need more of it. Uh, markets, uh, hey, it's all good today. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good yeah. morning, David. Yeah, uh, Dow was up. jumped in the market this morning. That's yes, sure. uh, yeah, you, you, we missed you last Thursday yeah. when, when markets were down, oddly enough. But now that everything's <laughs> in the green, here you are. I'm sure that's just a wild coincidence. But, that uh, is just a total coincidence. <laughs> I never can find the market. <laughs> uh, that's right. Nobody can. No. Unless you're rigging it, of course, in which case. But we don't like to talk about that. No, no, of course not. No, because... but it's funny they mentioned that about, uh, what was it, uh, the Tor Star, was it? What, the newspaper? Oh, thank you for talk you oh, talking. Oh, my gosh, yes. Well, we did. There was some, some suspicious yeah. trading of that stock just before the day, or two days, I think it was. I have to go back and check before it was announced that, uh, that the company had been uh, bought out. And the stock price, uh, I believe it was something like 67 cents, well above the uh, the traded uh, levels that it was uh, trading at. Uh, and so, yeah, there was some buying, uh, but if, I'm sure it's nothing to it. But, you know, there's always fear about uh, insider trading. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, David is with the uh, Barnsdale and Hussein Wealth Management Group of RBC Dominion Securities. And, uh, David, you wanted to talk a little bit about dividend-paying stocks. Uh, this is great stuff. I, I mean, uh, anytime you can get a, a, a stock, 
or an ETF or mutual fund that uh, that allows for some cash flow. It's it's a it's a huge bonus, and you've uncovered some. Maybe stocks that are a little bit uh, under the radar screen that pay good dividends that people should be aware of. Yeah, absolutely right, Mark. I mean, I'm always, you know, you know, kind of our core philosophy, our core belief, our, you know, our, our system and process and methodology is all around cash flow, whether it's dividends or tax advantage income from real estate investment trusts. Uh, and as I said, what makes us unique and makes us different is the tools and resources, not only of RBC, Dominion Securities, we mentioned that on the brokerage report card the other week, but also the CPMS Morningstar uh, portfolio management uh, service that we, our team, subscribes to. So this is, a, you know, an additional tool. And, you know, I just brought to your attention the number cruncher article that comes out every uh, week in the Global Mail, which is basically using that proprietary system. And in this example, they screen for uh, dividend growth companies, dividend growers, but outside of the S&P TSX index. So as you said, these are companies uh, that might not be, uh, you know, everyday names to people, although they're decent sized companies like some of these. And these are just examples. You know, Mark, I've got to always qualify this. These are just examples and observations. They're not recommendations. Here's professional advisors that reach out to us. To make sure it's appropriate, but Kajigo is one of their names, right? Kajigo Cable, uh, Andrew Pellia, the uh, wine company. These are all decent companies, good quality business with growing dividends over time uh, that you know are not common names that people would think of or, or even maybe look at owning in their portfolio. But this system and this process, it's a proven successful tool to screen out good businesses with growing dividends uh, and implement a system and a process to manage portfolios for individuals that are looking for dividend growers. As it says from this, Mark, this uh, example here, uh, going back over, over since 1997 till today, uh, this example of dividend grower methodology has delivered 13% versus the TSX at 6% over that same time frame. And again, you know, past performance, Mark, no guarantee of future performance. But think about it, that's 13 versus 6. Uh, you know, I, Mark, that's like double the performance over that period of time. Yeah, I was surprised. The list that you sent me that some of these stocks are not uh, part of the TSX, like what well, we used to call it Kojiko back in my days at the uh, – CRTC. Uh, It's just the way you pronounced it. It was Kojiko. It's uh, yeah. I think I think it's Kojiko, but sorry, Kojiko. You're right. uh, That's all right. Uh, But uh, you've included other other names there, like Newmont. Newmont is a mining company, correct? Yeah. And uh, so it's interesting because a lot of those companies, for whatever reason, offer kind of minimal. Uh, yields and so like I think Barrick just increased theirs. Uh, Barrick is the biggest gold miner in the world, I believe. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I now, th- go ahead. Yeah, and as you we mentioned gold in the past, one of the that we do believe in having gold as a part of your portfolio, kind of portfolio insurance. The only problem is you're alluding to, I think, Mark, is that generally speaking, there's not many good dividend payers in the gold sector. Why is that? I wonder. Is it because of the cyclical nature of it? I mean, is it just, uh, it's just, is it just too crazy in terms of the volatility? 
I don't know. I, uh, I would I would tend to say you're you're correct, Mark. It's basically it's too cyclical. Uh, think about it. They're always using their cash flow for exploration and development, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's just too cyclical so far. But that's changing. You're now getting some uh, uh, miners, gold miners, in the resource space that are royalty plays. So they don't have the risk of mining and development. They're just collecting a royalty. Is there any benefit to getting um, yield paid in U.S. dollars because of the uh, well the, the the fact that the U.S. dollar is worth, you know, significantly more than the Canadian dollar, kind of nice to be getting paid in U.S. dollars and then converting it, and, you know, you're kind of holding more or not. I mean, is there any benefit at all to that? Because there, obviously there are, there are some U.S., some good yield-paying U.S. companies as well. In fact, there's some ETFs that pay, for instance, um, uh, you know, double digits, like 12% to 13%. Yields on some of these uh, ETFs, and uh, they pay out in in U.S. currency. So I guess you're buying them in U.S. currency. So yeah. So I guess you that's know, the downside. Yeah. And Mark, I would always say part of a properly constructed portfolio is you have to or should have U.S. exposure. Now I'd be I'm not sure what you're referring to paying 12, 13 percent. I'd be uh, <laughs> a little skeptical or, or uh, I want to do more due diligence and research on something with that high of a yield to see exactly what it is. Uh, but I mean, there are opportunities out there for sure, right? Uh, you know, it, I, a question on something like that is, is it sustainable? Because one of the core uh, strategies or observation points is making sure the dividends these companies are paying are sustainable over time. So Mark, one thing to point out as well, which is on, on the subject of dividends in U.S. versus Canada, remember, Dividends in Canada are eligible for the dividend tax credit. So even though, yes, I agree, you should have U.S. exposure and U.S. income, you don't get the tax advantage that you do with Canadian dividend payers. And, Mark, I can't stress enough, and maybe we'll have this in more detail, is right now, coming up July 1st with the CRA prescribed rate strategies, I mean, you know, again, it comes down to planning and having a, a, a good advisor that brings these uh, strategies to your attention, that you can earn up to $50,000 a year if you have no other income, qualify that, no other income, with zero tax on those dividends, eligible dividends. That is good. Yeah, I was referring to the Global X FDS Global X uh, Super Dividend ETF. That's the name of it. SDIV is the, uh, is the code. Uh, oh, I don't okay. know if you've I, ever I've heard, heard of that. that, but I'd have to look into it. I think, yeah, that's probably the that might be past yield, but I probably because of the price has been <laughs> knocked significantly down on that. Yeah, that caught my eye only because it's a monthly uh, dividend, so it will it will give you some cash uh, every month, and it'll pay out pays out in cash. And uh, so, if you're looking for some kind of cash flow, then. Uh, that's yeah. It's 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 yield. It's got a yield, David, of twelve point five seven percent dividend. Well, we'll yield. have to look into that further for our next uh, chat. Yeah, well, maybe uh, it's <laughs> something. That it's but it is an ETF, and um, anyway, yeah, it's it's trading for about eleven dollars and fifty cents right now. Well, Mark, that's you yes. know leading to that point though. That's what we were talking about in our calls in the past is with the whole pandemic with the pullback in the market, although we've seen a significant recovery. You know, it's a 
perfect time for people, your listeners out there, if they're seeking a second opinion or just to confirm they're on the right track or they may need to reposition because there's still many good quality companies, value companies, dividend growers that are down significantly from their high. Yeah, the banks, for one thing. You were banks, talking, you've example. talked about that. I mean, how you've talked about, uh, well, Royal, I guess, pays, what, 5.8% or something like that? And, Mark, with just one more point on your U.S. versus Canada, one interesting uh, analysis or tidbit of information is you can buy, invest in Canadian banks in Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars, by the way. Right. So and you if can... you invest in the U.S. version, you still qualify for the dividend tax credit. And the yield is the same. And the, yeah, yeah, just, yeah just the ratio, exactly. All right. How do people find out uh, more about what services you offer? Because you're just a wealth of information and you're you're happy to help anybody who has some questions and maybe wants to sit down with you and go over their uh, their investments. Absolutely. And you know what? With the current crisis, we can't meet in person for a coffee, but we can meet virtually and uh, seek to just verify they're on the right path or if they need some course correction, let's call it that. But 90, sorry, one eight six six. Two zero five six five three six, or they can reach me at david.barnsdale at rbc.com. All right, David. Thank you so Thanks. much. Really Thanks appreciate so much. this as always. Appreciate it. Bye for now. All right, there you go. Sound advice. It'll save you some money. Probably even make you some money. David Barnsdale of the Barnsdale and Hussein Wealth Management Group of RBC Dominion Securities. We'll be back with our final scintillating segment after this. Show me the money. Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! The content discussed on The Money Maze is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational basis only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it's suitable for you and your financial objectives. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960AM.ca. You are listening to the Mark Petroni Radio Program. If you'd like to call, here's the number. 416-640-0200. That's 416-640-0200. The Mark Petroni Radio Program. Heard exclusively on News Talk Saga 960. And we are back with more News Talk. So very glad you could join us. Well, I guess America has tumbled in its competitive rankings, but oddly enough, our rank in this country has actually improved, and I don't understand how that's possible. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way we are more competitive unless other countries got worse. Singapore is number one in, uh, okay, we're, just, we're talking about global competitiveness you know, how easy is it to do business? There's a story in Bloomberg. The U.S. tumbled further in a ranking of most competitive world economies dragged down by the weight of President Donald Trump's trade wars. Okay, so they're blaming <laughs> Bliss Bloomberg, the guy who ran for president, you know, for the Democrats, right? 
I mean, what do you want? So you could just keep on just lying down for China and letting them basically continue stealing our intellectual property, stealing our jobs. I mean, in some cases, we just ship them, right? We adopt policies that are so anti-competitive, that are so bad for businesses, that we just basically open the door and say, yeah, China, go ahead, take these jobs as well. And Ford is the latest example of that with the Yokeville plan. No, it's not gone yet, but that's the fear here. That uh, Ford is just going to say, you know what? It's no longer, it no longer makes sense for us to do business in Canada. We're leaving. And what what about those two huge construction projects on the west coast, the LNG projects? You know, we shipped so many jobs to uh, the Chinese steelmakers. There's work that could have been done in Hamilton, that but we chose not to do that. Why in the world is that happening? You know, people say, well, why don't you respect the prime minister? This is why. Because he's destroying my country. That's why. Oh, man, I just, you know. Anyway, I want to deal with this. Because this competitive ranking, it just doesn't seem to make sense. I get Singapore. Absolutely. Denmark, I don't know what's going on in Denmark. It's number two all of a sudden. And it's a huge jump from number eight. It was number eight in 2019. Now Denmark, in terms of its economic competitiveness, meaning this is a place you want to do business in, right? Whatever they're doing in Denmark, keep doing it. Switzerland is number three. Uh, that's a move up. The Netherlands has also moved up. So uh, some happy things happening amongst those Scandinavian countries, I guess, or if that's indeed part of it. Yeah, it is. Okay, anyway, so then you've got uh, Hong Kong. Okay, so Hong Kong is down, and that's hardly surprising because of the pressure that they've been subjected to by the communist dictatorship, the much-admired communist dictatorship in China. So Sweden is number six. It's up from number nine. Uh, then Norway, wow. I tell you, and then Canada is at number eight. All these cold-weather countries. <laughs> There's a rocket and rolling here. Yeah, we were number 13. So I guess Junior will be doing a bit of a happy... This is a reason for him to kind of spike the football and kind of say, you see, you guys say that I'm anti-competitive. You say that I'm anti-business. Look at that. So Junior can uh, can do a little bit of a, a victory lap here. Then you've got United Arab Emirates. And then finally, the USA is at number 10, and guess what? It fell from number three. It was number three in 2019. See, this is where Bloomberg <laughs> just crapped itself. Because that Chinese, that war with China on the issue of, uh, of tariffs, that's been going on almost from the time that Trump took over. And he took over in 2016, right? And so the United States went all the way up to number three in, in 2019. Presumably, all during that time when it was negotiating the trade deal and getting better terms from the Chinese, it was at number three. It's only this year, only this year, that it's fallen down to number 10. But Bloomberg wants to blame Trump. And that's why media cannot be trusted. Yeah, that's what it is. So they're trying to blame yeah, China's trade war with China, or, or US, the U.S.'s trade war with China has increased 
the uncertainty. You know what? United States repatriated thousands of jobs. Companies that were doing business in China moved to the United States. And Bloomberg is feeding you a crock, which is par for the course. They cannot be trusted. But here you go. For whatever reason, Canada has moved up despite its carbon tax. And I can't really explain it. But there you go. Canada moving up from number from number 13 to number 8. Asia-Pacific economies were weaker than usual, with most slipping from last year's ranking, including a uh, four-spot drop by Japan to number 34. And Indonesia slid by eight notches to number 40. India remained at number 43. Well, gee, did those countries have a a trade war with China? (laughs) Did did, did those... uh, Did those countries uh, impose tariffs or were there other factors involved in their falling? I don't know. Ask Bloomberg. Either way, Bloomberg is a joke. And uh, it's it's really sad because people read this stuff and they actually believe it. It's, It's unfortunate. But there is another story. And this is something that is looming over the markets. And that's the possibility of a dollar crash. Some people think it's it's inevitable. People like Peter Schiff has been have been talking about this. These are the the gold people. These are the people who've been talking about the need. In fact, we're hearing it from David Barnsdale too. You know, have a little bit of gold, have some gold in your portfolio. I mean, companies like RBC, some of the banks, many of the brokers, they just saw gold ownership as a as dead money. And especially when you look at kind of those barely there uh, dividend yields even though Barracks has gone up a little bit. And, and there was talk about Newmont, but even Newmont is less than 2%, 2% yield. But uh, so they saw it as kind of dead money, gold. You know, what do you want to own that little yellow thing for? Well, you know what? Uh, here's a story in CNBC before, and I'll try to get out of the way quickly here. A dollar crash, virtually inevitable. This is an expert in, um, in Asian economies by the name of Stephen Roach. So here you go. Some of these people are worried, even though the fact that, I mean, the... No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.